me, I'm Michelle. And I'm Dana Marie, and we are Empowered to Advocate. Our goal is to help parents and caregivers uh, navigate the often confusing special education process so that they can become the best advocates for their children. Tune in every Friday for your tip, tool, or strategy that can be implemented right away so you feel confident and empowered to be the best advocate for your child. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Empowered to Advocate podcast. This is Dana Marie. I am joined by Michelle and our very special guest today, Melissa Durr. I'll give a really brief introduction um, to Melissa, and then we'll actually toss it to her, and she'll tell us a little bit about who she is and what she does. Um, So Michelle and I met Melissa um, in the district that we all used to work in. Um, Melissa was our assistive technology specialist, and she came in and did evaluations for any of our kiddos that needed an assistive tech evaluation and then helped the school team implement, um, you know, once the evaluation was done and the report was completed, any of the tools, strategies, et cetera, um, that came from that evaluation. And so that's kind of how we all got to know each other. Um, since then, um, Melissa has moved on, is is doing some different things, but in the same realm. So she's going to tell us a little bit today uh, about who she is and what she does, and also what exactly is assistive technology? Why yes. is it helpful? Who is it helpful for? Um, and how does it apply to our work in special education? So with that, I am going to toss it over to Melissa to introduce herself. Hi, hi everybody. Um, thanks Michelle and Dana Marie. I'm so excited to be here. So as Dana Marie said, um, I am an assistive technology specialist, um, but I started out my career, professional career, I guess, as a special education teacher. Um, I taught elementary special education for a couple of years and due to a move, um, ended up kind of discovering assistive technology and really falling in love with it um, as a way to be in education without necessarily being a classroom teacher, um, but getting to really kind of problem solve for students and teachers and, um, you know, hopefully make education more accessible to students. Um, So I've done that for the past 11 or 12 years. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, as Dan Marie said, I, I moved state, so um, I'm doing a little bit different now. I'm doing some virtual and remote um, assessments and um, consultations and education and also doing some early intervention and working um, within other assistive technology realms. So cool. Awesome. That's so cool. Tell us a little bit about... Um what assistive technology is, like, what does that even mean? Because it's definitely, I I would say it's a trending term that you hear a lot at meetings, um, but not a lot of people necessarily know exactly what it is. Absolutely. Yes. Um, So assistive technology or AT, you know, us educators, we like our um, alphabet soup of, (laughs) uh, you know, abbreviations and everything. But yes, either people have no idea what it is and they're like AT what or they're like AT we need that whatever it is we've got to have it um and usually the answer is somewhere in the middle there um but 
so like the the technical definition of assistive technology is any item any piece of equipment any software program or product system that is used to increase maintain or improve the functional abilities of an individual with a disability okay. um, so it's very long and kind of complicated but basically it is any technology that within the education space allows a student diagnosed with a disability to access something that they cannot with their disability um, that then makes it possible. So um, in, an, in other words though, like the not technical definition, um, assistive technology is something that makes life easier for people. Um, we all use assistive technology every day. People who wear glasses wear, assist, you know, wear assistive technology. People who have smartphones and talk to Siri or Alexa or whoever, that's assistive technology. Um, it's just something that makes life easier for them, not mm. necessarily something that makes it possible. Um, so I, I wish I had the author um, or the person who said it, but someone said, you know, technology makes things easier for some people, but for people with disabilities, it makes it possible. And mm. so that really uh. kind of hammers it home. And like, that's something that I often bring up in meetings, like without this piece of equipment or this program, the student would not be able to show that they can do X, Y, or Z skill. Um, or access some piece of curriculum. So, you know, a student who's dyslexic could be, you know, generally they're very smart, have very high IQs, um, but reading isn't is a challenge for them. It doesn't mean that they're not able to understand. So when they're able to then use text-to-speech to listen to a book, they can get every answer correct. It doesn't mean, you know, just because they do it in a different way um, and they're able to use the technology um, to access the content, that's the assistive tech piece. Awesome, thanks. As Michelle said, oftentimes we're talking to parents, caregivers, but even school teams who aren't even super sure what assistive tech means. So that definition was very helpful for me as well. But if I'm a parent or caregiver, and that's the majority of our listeners right now, how do I know if my child might require at least an evaluation for assistive technology? Like what would be the signs that I should be asking that question to the school team, to maybe my child's teacher? So the thing that I generally start off my assessments or evaluations with is what is the student trying to do? What is the goal? What is the IEP objective that the team and the student and the family, obviously, um, because they're part of the team, are trying to accomplish that the student cannot do with what is currently in place? Because when we're writing an IEP, right, we want to write a goal that we think is achievable, obtainable within that IEP period. And so if there's a hurdle there, um, why? And can assistive technology help get over that hurdle? Um, and generally the answer is yes. Um, not always, but generally. <laughs> and so I guess my follow-up question, um, this 
both for parents and caregivers, but also for folks working in schools. If you're the assistive technology specialist and you come in and you're going to conduct an evaluation, what does that evaluation look like? You just let us know kind of how you start, what questions you're asking, um, but what does it look like? And also, how is it different than maybe some other assessments and evaluations that are completed in special education? Yeah. Um, so often I will, you know, well, always I'll start by finding out from the family caregivers um, what they see as being the challenge for the student. Um, and then from also the, the school team as well. Um, and usually they match up. Uh, sometimes no, but usually. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, so I will come in and I'll do an assessment. Usually it's an observation of the student um, in the environment where the challenge is seen. Um, you know, like to be able to get eyes on the student experiencing that challenge. And then I will then work with the student and sometimes the teacher trying different things. Um, and we use something called the SET method. Um, well, that's what I use. Um, it's the S-E-T-T -T method. Um, and assistive tech's a little bit different uh, from other assessments in that, um, you know, your, your audience here probably is familiar with like a psychoeducational evaluation, an OT evaluation, a uh, a speech and language evaluation, and those are very prescriptive and standardized because we want to know, okay, like, you know, where are they falling within um, relation to average peers, right? So that we kind of have an idea. In my case, there aren't standardized evaluations. It's looking at the student as an individual and the task that they're trying to accomplish. So that brings us back to the SET method, right? So S is the student. So what are, we look at their strengths. What are they really good at? Um, so again, going back to a student who may have dyslexia, um, maybe their reading is a big challenge, but they're a great oral speaker. Um, and then, you know, are they, what are they interested in? Do they have topics that they like? That sort of thing, you know, what are their strengths? What are those challenges? E is the environment. So where are these tasks taking place? So this could, this can apply to, um, you know, uh, an adult working at an office or somewhere else. In our context, it's generally the school because they're students. Um, but sometimes they could be, you know, students out in a work placement um, or in preschool, you know, out on the playground, that sort of thing. And then um, the first T is the task. So what do they need to do? So that gets us to kind of the challenge, right? Um, so is it writing? Is it reading? Is it something in math? Is it executive function? Um, mm -hmm. And within that, you know, kind of drilling down to be more specific. And then that takes us to our, our last T, the tool. Um, so it kind of is a way to identify what's going to help them. And, you know, we have an array to choose from once we've figured out the other three components and then try different things with the student to see what's most effective um, and what we think will make the most sense within the context that they are learning um, and working in. I love that this assessment that you use is so individualized and that it's not necessarily a normed base test and that it actually is giving accessibility, it, it could actually 
give accessibility to some of those normed tests um, that many students, it's not those kinds of tests aren't super accessible to them because you can only give the directions in a certain way, a certain amount of time, only giving a certain amount of time, right? No opportunity to learn from your mistakes and things. So I love that your assessment is actually accessible for everybody. Um, yeah. to find out what makes things accessible. If that makes sense. <laughs> I always try to, um, you know, speak with, especially parents and caregivers, you know, particularly after like an initial evaluation, like their student has been through the ringer with all of those mm-hmm. assessments because it's focusing on the things that they're not good at, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they were great at everything, they wouldn't be having these assessments, unfortunately. Um, and it doesn't mean that they don't have strengths. We're just focusing on the areas that they're having difficulty in. And so we're trying to figure out to what degree, um, you know, is that affecting them and their academics and their ability to learn? And so I think kind of trying to reframe it in that way and that it's not, you know, what's wrong with the student, but finding the areas of challenge for them um, hopefully can make it a little bit easier for them. But then I love that I get to go in and say, okay, these are the areas that we've identified that are difficult. And like, here are my ideas and here are the things that I think are going to help you and make a big difference. Um, and, and usually they're right. And usually they, you know, are super successful and gain confidence and, you know, if they had lost their love for learning, they gained that back a little bit. And so it's, that's the super rewarding part for me. Awesome. What are some of the more common pieces of technology or tools that are really useful for students? Even you had mentioned you're doing early intervention. So even if we think about kids in early intervention, preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, what are sorts of things at each grade level do you kind of see as being commonly beneficial? Sure. Um, Well, and I think, you know, in the past few years, um, more assistive technology has become more mainstream and adopted by people who use it to you know, fit things in throughout their day, like audiobooks, I think, have become a lot more common um, than they were even maybe five years ago. Um, and so for students who have a really hard time reading, being able to listen to an audiobook is a way better way to get, you know, access to the content. Um, but because it's become trendy for people to be able to, you know, fit it in while they're driving or at the grocery store or while they're cleaning, um, it's become more accessible to students who really need that. Um, so, you know, each feeds the other, right? Um, so I don't know if I can be succinct in kind of going through every single thing, but I will say, um, you know, assistive tech is kind of divided between like low tech, high tech, and then like really specialized, right? Um, so low tech can be something like picture symbols instead of words. And so anyone who has had a young child, you know, who can't read yet has, you know, drawn pictures of whatever it is that they wanted to write instead. And then their child's able to, you know, understand that for the most part. So using things like visuals, um, that is, you know, a super common low tech thing that can be really beneficial to 
younger children, but also to people who are just visual learners or who may have reading difficulties, you know, so it really is kind of situation dependent. Um, other more, um, oh, I'll also say we also have like high incidence tools and then lower incidence tools, right? So like text to speech and speech to text. So being able to have something that's on a screen read to you um, out loud by, you know, whatever assistant or program or extension, um, that's something that makes something that's inaccessible to a student suddenly accessible. Um, but then there's also, you know, like eye-based technology where an individual can control the mouse of a computer with the movement of their eyes, which is much more spe specialized, much more high tech, but a lot more low incidence. Um, you know, not as it's not going to be something that people are using every day in their lives unless, you know, they can't um, physically move other parts of their body. So, um, you know, that kind of it kind of runs the gamut. But a lot of the technology that are higher incidence um, would be like the speech to text, text to speech, even just being able to like have things on video or listen to things rather than reading things, um, you know, being able to watch a math process back via video instead of reading through the steps and, you know, being able to watch a teacher go through it as many times as they need and being able to pause and rewind um, is something that can be super helpful to kids um, who, you know, maybe didn't get it the first time or um, being able to have like a digital to-do list for students with executive function or a visual timer up on their computer screen to say, okay, I either have five more minutes that I am able to work or, oh, I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to this for the next two minutes and then I can take a break um, and, you know, kind of let off some steam. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of things for executive functioning um, are becoming more popular just because the productivity um, buzzword, right? Everyone wants to be more productive and fit more things in, but for people who have difficulty with their executive functioning, a lot of those tools just make life a lot more easier, a lot more easy rather than, you know, trying to get the most out of that productivity um, and just kind of make getting through the day a lot easier. So you mentioned a little bit about parents, sort of like how you work with them to, to build you know, not just the assessment and the evaluation, but then, you know, the plan for tools and strategies and so on and so forth. But I guess my question is, how do you see your role in the role of assistive technology specialists, like on the team in general? So working with parents and caregivers, but also working with the school teams, because, you know, much like any specialists, and I think all of our experiences, you'll go in, you'll do an evaluation, you'll do an assessment, and then, you know, come up with a plan and then oftentimes you're moving on to assess the next kid, evaluate, especially these days, um, evaluate the next kid. People are short staffed, schools, early intervention, everyone's looking for, for specialists. So how do you sort of work with the school team, including the parents and caregivers to ensure that whatever plan is developed is actually put into place with fidelity over you know the course of a period of time? <laughs> 
I will say, I don't know that I have the answer 100% for you yet. I don't know that I have a 100% success rate yet, but definitely have that goal and, um, you know, working towards that. And I think, um, my mentor and, um, the owner of the company that I, you know, worked for in Massachusetts and, um, you know, do some part-time work for her motto is we want to work ourselves out of a job. Mm. Um, and so we, we really see ourselves as someone who comes in and teaches the staff, um, hopefully as many staff as possible, um, how to work the technology, when to work the technology, um, how to troubleshoot it. And so we use um, an implementation plan um, that we, you know, try to develop with the team. So we'll say, okay, you know, what is the tech? When do we use it? How do we use it? And who's responsible for it? And so hopefully having that outlined kind of covers all the bases. But um, a lot of times, you know, caregivers or parents will say, well, why aren't you working directly with my kid? Mm. And a lot of the time, much of the time we do work directly with the student, but more often we end up working with the teachers because they are the ones who are presenting the content to the child. And so they need to present it in a way that is accessible to them. Um, and they need to be able to know how to help the student if they run into an issue. Um, and so they need to know that what they're developing or presenting to the child is presented in a way that they can access it. Um, or work with it or respond to it. And then the other benefit of that is they then have this new knowledge that they can implement with other students, whether or not they necessarily require it mm. um, through their IEP or documentation or whatever, um, which then brings me to the other kind of hallmark of what we try to um, kind of promote is universal design. So mm. making something that is inherently either accessible or able to be changed or modified easily so that it can be responded to or accessed in multiple ways. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen, there's like this older cartoon and it's of a, like a snowstorm. Um, and there's a person with a shovel and you know they're they're shoveling out the snow and a student in a wheelchair is there and they have the speech bubble like hey you know if you could just shovel out the ramp that would be nice and he's like yeah 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 when i'm done with the stairs um but not realizing if he had shoveled out the ramp all of the students Everyone. could use the ramp um, so trying to kind of promote that shift in thinking of like okay how can we create something that you know, is accessible to everybody. And then we can kind of change it in the way that we need to, to suit whatever group we're working with or toward whatever skill we're trying to work on. Um, so that's, those are sort of like the big hallmarks of what we try to promote mm. within assistive technology. So hopefully you don't need the assistive technology because you're already able to access it or respond to it in a way that is, you know, works for you as a student. I was just going to say, I really think that the consult model for a lot of services and service providers and that sort of support 
is really undervalued because I think it's really misunderstood um, in a way that by both educators and caregivers thinking that, well, if you're only consulting, if you're not actually with my child one-on-one like on one -on -one or in a small group, then how is that helping them? But like you said, that being able to consult with the person who is with the student the most, who can then implement that for that specific student with that student, but also take that knowledge that they learn and trickle it down to possibly more kids who could need it. Um, I just, I think that the consult model is so valuable um, and undervalued. I, you know, and I agree with you, but in a way I disagree because okay. I, I don't know that it's, it's undervalued. I think that so many teachers have so many things that they need to do mm. that are on their plate that they have to accomplish every day and every week and every month and every semester that it's, it's a impossible and be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the, when I first started out, you know, I'd come in all gung ho, like, Hey, I'm here to do an assessment. And like, you'd see, you'd see the the windows shutting, the wall, the doors closing, like, oh my God, this person's coming in and they're going to tell me all of this mm. stuff that I need to do. Mm. And I, I already don't have enough time to do the things that I need to do. And they're just going to add more to my plate. And so, you know, like making sure that I come in in the right way and explain myself um, with, is, was a really important lesson for me because, um, you know, that really made a big difference in how I, I was received and the information that I got from teachers. Um, because when I came in as like, hey, you know, I, I'm here to do this for this student, but I'm also here to hopefully make your life easier because mm -hmm. by giving the student these tools, you're going to be able to know what they're learning hopefully a lot more clearly and it's hopefully going to benefit other students as well. Um, you know, maybe they don't technically need it, but maybe you're going to see, you know, some kids who were kind of on the borderline and they really end up thriving with this technology. And a lot of things that now are digital, like, you know, Google forms in the beginning, that was a huge thing for me. I was like, I, I, I really like, giving this to the student via a form is going to make them able to show you what they know so much easier. But here are all these things that you can then do with a form and you don't even have to grade it. Like you're going to save yourself so much time. And then once they knew how to do it, they were like, Oh my gosh, are my you kidding me? Like I'm doing everything this way now. Um, you know that, or being able to make a copy of a, of a doc or something, you know, rather than having to, you know, print it out and enlarge mm -hmm. it, they could then give it to a student where they can make their own, um, you know, visual accommodations or whatever. But then every student can do that as well in a mm -hmm. way that is easy. It's easier for them. And you're saving time at the copier, which we know is like the worst. Brutal. Right, 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 Terrible. <laughs> and it never works the right way the first time. And then sure they have to enlarge something like, it's just a whole other issue. And so that, and then it's, it's also environmentally friendly and you're saving resources for your district. Like there's all sorts of other pros that come along with it. And so being able to kind of translate that for a teacher as well, rather mm -hmm. than coming in and being like, Hey, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. And this is going to, you know, make your life so much worse. 
I'm going to tell you what this student needs, but I'm also going to hopefully help you see how this is going to benefit you in the long run um, and hopefully benefit other students yeah. that then come your way as well. A uh, previous guest has said that the most successful plan is going to be the most doable plan and the most you know, the most doable plan might not be like what would ultimately be the most effective, but it's actually the most effective because it's going to be able to be implemented confidently and and comfortably and consistently. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like that's the case in everything, right? Like when on January 1st, when you're like, I'm not eating any (laughs) sugar and I'm not, you know, and then a week later you're like, I can't do this. This isn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. But like when you're like, okay, I'm going to add in one food a day. That's a lot easier, you know, and you know, sustainable, like, okay, I can add one food in, you know, I kind of try to equate it to something like that. Or like, you're not going to run go out and run a marathon the first time you strap on some, you know, running shoes, you're going to, you know, maybe walk and run a little bit and then work up to it. And so that's another important thing, I think, um, with both educational teams and particularly parents and caregivers to know, like, it's not an overnight, you know, turn on the light switch and everything is amazing. It, it, it is work. You do have, there is a learning curve. You know, the student has to learn it. The teachers have to learn it. Implementing it sometimes takes some time. And sometimes the student is resistant as well. And so that's, that's a piece of it. Like, you know, I have to be making sure I have student buy-in um, and helping them understand why it's going to be beneficial to them, um, particularly if it's something like where they're like, oh, well, my friends aren't using this. Why do I need to use this? Or, you know, if, they're, if it's something that, you know, they may feel a little bit self-conscious about. Um, you know, you kind of have to, sometimes we have to work up to that and take small steps to that. Um, and, you know, especially if it's a student who's been struggling for a while and they're not meeting mm-hmm. their goals, you know, there's a lot of pressure for them to make progress. And so it can be really frustrating um, when you don't see that right away. Um, and so, you know, understanding it is a process and it does take time. Um, and unfortunately you really can't see it until you've gone, you know, a little bit further down the road and then you're able to look back and say, Oh, look at where we were three months ago. Look at where we were a semester ago, you know, and, or look at where we were last year at this time. Um, but you know, I can pretty much guarantee that any student I've worked with, you know, we've made progress. It just, it takes time. It just, it's not an overnight thing usually. Um, and so being consistent, like you said, Michelle, I think that's a huge piece of it. Um, and being really mindful about when you use it, especially in the beginning, Mm. um, is really, really important. And other times I've also had teams, you know, say, well, we tried to use it in this thing, but it just didn't work. And so having having the objective of the lesson in mind is really important too, right? Like if it's a spelling test, we might not want them to use speech to test. (laughs) That's not what we're testing, right? I mean, spelling tests in and of itself, whatever, but like, you know, that's maybe a bad example, but like, are we, you know, testing their knowledge of, you know, World War II, or are we testing 
their ability to type a five paragraph essay. Mm. So if it's their knowledge, you know, however they get it out on the page or submit it as an assignment, like, you know, if they are a student who uses speech to text, that should be fine. But if it is part of like, okay, I need to see their handwriting, we can't have them use that. And that's, and again, those, these are those nuanced kind of conversations that the team has to have, right? And, and in that implementation plan, when do we use this? Why do we use it? And, you know, what's the objective of the lesson? And does the technology fit in that? And can the student access whatever it is? Or do they need an alternative? I think you brought up a really good point earlier and wait. As usual, don't have time to dive into it now because time flies and maybe it's a conversation for, for another episode. But you brought up um, a point about universal design for learning and how, you know, you had a previous boss who said that the goal was to actually put yourself out of a job. And I think that's a really good point here because part of having a specialist like you on the team who is so knowledgeable about assistive technology and the tools and strategies that can help students with disabilities is being able to support, like you said, not just the parents and the caregivers, but the school team, the educators, the teachers, the special educators who are actually working with the students five, six, seven, eight hours, sometimes a day, because as everyone here knows, this is no secret, it's often really challenging for educators to get really quality professional development and have time in their day to really dive into some things that they don't know a lot about and to do research on tools and strategies and assistive tech that might be beneficial for all of their students or some of their students or at least one of their students. There's, there's limited time and there's limited resources, right? So having somebody like you who knows the tools and strategies come to the school team, be able to not just teach them about them, but show them how to implement them, all of the questions that you were just kind of giving us as an example of when do we do it and why and how and for what purpose and what objective and what content area and so on and so forth. I think just to Michelle's point is just valuable and overall um, a really valuable use of everyone's time um, when Time is of the essence, obviously. And when, like I said, resources are, are scarce as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of liken it to a, not, not the medical model, but, you know, you go to your general practitioner for your checkup every year, right? And then, you know, you might have a specialist, like a dermatologist or whatever. And then, like, maybe you have an issue where you need surgery. So, like, you don't go to the same person for each one of those. And so I think being able to shift the mindset of educators as well, like a, a general, like an elementary educator, the amount that they have to know and be able to implement throughout the day and the decisions that they have to make, it's insane. Um, like, I, I did it for a couple of years as a special ed teacher. And like, I, I just don't know. And even, you know, more so now with all of the things and all of the technology and all of the testing, like there's just so many things. There's not enough time in the day. Mm -hmm. There's not, there's never enough resources. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, being able to come in and really be effective is super rewarding to me. And being able to know like, okay, I know at least one person in this school or in this grade knows this information. And so being able to show them like, 
hey, if this is what you're seeing, try this out. Or like, make sure you're looking at the environment and the task. And then, you know, and, you know, being able to say, like, here are the resources, like, this is the stuff that you learn from this student. So like, you know, you can extrapolate from that. Like, it's not that teachers don't, aren't smart enough. It's just that they have other knowledge and they don't have the time to learn all of this other specialized knowledge. So being able to come in and give that to them is super rewarding to me. And then they can carry that on and share it with, you know, their coworkers and their colleagues and hopefully, you know, kind of through word of mouth and like, Hey, did you try this out? Like a lot, a lot, you know, all those hallway conversations, all those things like, Hey guys, this is what I, this is what I tried mm-hmm. with this kid today. Mm-hmm. Like and it was really successful. Try it with, you know, mm-hmm. your kiddo who has this challenge or whatever. Um, or even just try this with the whole class. They were really into it. Like they were really motivated by it. Um, and it was online and digital. So I got to save time grading or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I mean, so much of what we're doing now is, I feel like very different from, you know, when I was back in the day when I was in school, like I had, Mm -hmm. I had a parent who, you know, rightfully was very concerned about like their, their child's handwriting. Um, and they were like, well, what about when they have to apply for jobs? And I said, well, (laughs) we don't apply for jobs on paper anymore. Like it's all digital. Like I want to make sure that they can fill out. Type. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, but like, as important as handwriting is, like, I want to make sure that they have all of these other skills as well. Mm. Um, and so being able to kind of come in as the person with authority and say, like, yes, those are important, but these are also priorities. And these are the things that are going to get your kid there is, is really rewarding to me and to be able to kind of, um, you know, help the parents and caregivers understand what the teachers are saying and the teachers understand what the parents and caregivers are saying. Um, so it's, it's almost kind of like a, a mediator position at times as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really fun. It's really interesting. I love seeing um, kids kind of do different tasks than the way that they do them and the things that I can learn from them. And then hmm. um, seeing them try the technology and be successful with it is, is amazing. Amazing. Well, I've learned something today. I already Mm -hmm. can't wait to go back and listen, especially at the beginning when you gave us the definitions, the long definition and the short definition. I'm already thinking about going back and listening to those. Um, When we end, we like to put folks on the spot (laughs) um, to to end an episode and kind of give us a too long, didn't read version, a little sound bite, um, kind of if you were to wrap everything up for us, for listeners. I guess my question today is, what do you wish people knew about assistive technology? Assistive technology hopefully makes things easier and accessible for not just students with disabilities, but also their educational team and parents and caregivers. That is the goal and what I would consider to be a successful outcome. I love that. I love that. I love that. Awesome. Thank you guys Um, for having me. This was fabulous. Oh, thank you so much. So much valuable nuggets in here for folks listening. So thank you so much for joining us here. Um, And hopefully, you know, if folks who are listening have questions, 
We could always, I'm sure, ask Melissa to be back on with us again to answer questions. Um, so send them our way at empoweredtoadvocate at gmail.com um, and we'll compile those. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Everybody else, we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We hope that what you just heard is easy for you to understand and you are able to go ahead and implement it and take action right away. We always love to hear from you and how things worked out for you or what questions you have, please email us at empoweredtoadvocate at gmail.com or visit us at empoweredtoadvocate.com and schedule your 20-minute consult with us today so we can find out how we can best support you to best support your child. See you next week. To our podcast or participating in one of our live webinars or sessions, you acknowledge that Empowered to Advocate will provide thoughtful, comprehensive, and data-driven coaching and advice. By participating, you understand that this service is not legal advice, nor does it constitute legal services. It is understood that E2A is serving in the role of coach and consultant to you on your child's behalf. In participating or listening, the parent or caregiver understands that there are no guarantees of success in obtaining the outcome desired by the parent or caregiver. The parent or caregiver agrees to hold empowered to advocate and any coaches working with them harmless with regard to the outcome of meetings, services, hearings, etc.